Welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. Now available on YouTube when you head to youtube.com slash at the mic with Keith. That's youtube.com slash at the mic with Keith. This week, I sit down with the one and only Dr. Drew. Dr. Drew Pinsky shares his life story next. But first, let's talk about America during the war for independence and some of the powerful words that helped her through very dark times. You know the phrase, These are the times that try men's souls, the summer soldier, the sunshine patriot. It's the perfect combination of linguistic elegance and raw conviction. Thomas Paine was the voice of the American Revolution, and his words still resonate nearly 250 years later. Today, we're faced with a new American crisis, and it's time to remember bold founding fathers like Thomas Paine. And American Pride Roasters Coffee is honoring him this month with the special blend named after him, the Thomas Paine Blend. It features 50% smooth and elegant Guatemalan beans and 50% raw, strong Vietnamese Robusta beans, which are double the caffeine of Arabica beans. This stuff is going to wake you up the way Paine woke up colonial America. Head over to aprcoffee.com and try the new Thomas Paine blend today. There's so much over there to try, and it's all 10% off when you use the promo code ATM at checkout. That's aprcoffee.com. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Dr. Drew Pinsky is my guest this week on At The Mic. Dr. Drew has done it all in the multimedia universe, but he's not slowing down anytime soon. He's still ready for new challenges that are going to come his way very soon. He and I sat down recently and covered his very remarkable life story. So let's get things started right now with Dr. Drew Pinsky on At The Mic. I will just say that this is such a thrill for me, Doctor. I appreciate you making time, man. Thank you. Keith, my, my pleasure, man. Okay, so you're a physician, radio, TV, public speaker, YouTube channel. I mean, you book author. I mean, seriously, I, I don't know that there's anything professionally that you haven't done that maybe you'd like to, or maybe there is. Maybe you could enlighten us. No, I mean, this, it's never been all the stuff I've done. There's never been any blueprint. I just sort of walk, try stuff. If somebody says, why don't you walk into this door? And I go, well, that's interesting. Let's see if we can make something worthwhile out of yeah. that. I just keep walking into rooms and things, you know, trying to trying to make something worthwhile happen. And, and I'm still doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's got to be, though, the pinnacle of your career has to be having a cameo on The Simpsons. Right. That was just recently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, cameo on the family guy. That was that was where I thought I really hit, okay. hit the top. Yeah. That, that was Simpsons. Simpsons was nice, but it was pretty quick. And it was uh-huh. the best part about the Simpsons was going to walk in the writing room and meet all those people and stuff. That was fun. Yeah. But uh Family Guy, literally Alex <laughs> Borstein and Seth MacFarlane. So uh, Alex is there in the booth with you as the mom and, and Seth MacFarlane is coaching from the booth. Every word that comes out of your mouth. I mean, it's crazy. You know, he's in there with everything. That was fun. That's that was awesome. That is so cool, man. I mean, I, I mean, for all of the accolades and all of the accomplishments that you had, I think you're right. Once you're finally a, a character on a cartoon, that's, that's no, I was what you say. I had another one. I had another <laughs> oh. moment like that too. 
where I, it was a it was a cartoon that actually got pulled. It was my gym partner's the a monkey, and I was Doctor Baboonski helping out a monkey who got preoccupied with his butt. <laughs> he had to go to he had to go to twelve step because his baboon butt was a little too preoccupying. Wait a minute. But 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 here's the but here's the great part. The, the again the joy for me was the 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 voice actor who does the boy in a, my gym partner as a monkey is SpongeBob. And across from me, I forget what character he was playing, was Mr. Krabby. And I thought, oh, this is awesome. This is this is this is the best. That is cool. So wait a minute. That that episode that got pulled, we it doesn't exist where we could go and see it anymore. Doesn't exist. Oh, doesn't exist. No. It was too much for the censors on Cartoon Network, I guess. Oh. For that time of day. For that time of day anyway. Uh-huh. Okay. So you live in Los Angeles. You're born and raised out there, correct? Yeah, yeah. I was born at an old hospital called uh, Queen of Angels. Uh-huh. Uh, raised the first few years in Alhambra, which is a San Gabriel Valley suburb, and then moved to Pasadena, stayed there, went east for college, and you know, really kind of thought, I never imagined I'd go back to Pasadena, but when I decided to go to USC medical school, guess where all the medical students lived? They lived in Pasadena and South Pasadena. And so uh. there I was back in Pasadena. And then I did my residency at these hospitals and that kind of clinched it. That uh-huh. was it. I know that there was a time in your life when you were a young man and you were getting out of college or I guess, I guess was this before you were going to college when you were basically making a career decision my goodness, am I going to go into the medical profession or am I going yeah. to become an opera singer? I was fascinated when yeah. I saw that little nugget of yours. Yeah, it's a little more complicated. Okay. It wasn't that clear of a distinction. But uh-huh. but uh, I finished my first year. It was always assumed I'd be a doctor. You're going to be a doctor like your dad and your uncle. Right. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I was good, good at sciences, liked the sciences, and uh, finished my first year, did well but did not feel up to the task. I just was like, these people are real. These are smart people. I can't compete with these people. This is not my thing. And by the way, this was something you guys, everyone wanted me to do. I don't really want to do this. This isn't my choice. And for about 18 months, I drifted. Woo! I was very unhappy, but I was exploring all kinds of things. And in one of the things I was contemplating is I know I'll do the med auditions and I'll go to West Germany and train in opera. So I was sort of thinking that way. Um, even though no way, I mean, I'm just, I, I didn't have, I had a good, you know, instrument, but bad musician and it just wasn't, I would not have been happy. It would not have been good for me. And I I was very unhappy. I started having panic attacks. I got depressed and be, but because I was so pigheaded about, you know, not looking back and doing something totally different than anybody wanted me to do. I would, I wouldn't even, like one thing I could not think about was maybe everybody was right about what I should be doing. No, no way. (laughs) Um, But I started having like disabling panic attacks and I started, was sort of evaluating everything at that time. And I thought maybe that science stuff is really what I meant for. And I immediately felt better. I mean, like, immediately it felt better just thinking about going back in that structure and training and the really interesting thing is when i went back and i had to like get it together because i i was you know my time was limited now i had to go to school year round i you know it was all kinds of stuff i had to do 
but I could do it. And not only could I do it, I could do it at a, a level of intensity that was just impossible for me two years earlier. Mm -hmm. And I really think my brain just needed to, it wasn't just that I needed to commit myself, you know, on my, for myself to this project. I, I also needed my brain to mature. My, my brain was just, the male brain is just not ready for that kind of thing. And I was young. I went, <laughs> I just turned 18 when I went to college and I moved to New England and it was, not a, a culture or a climate I was familiar with. It was right. a big mess. Sure. And uh, so at, at that point, I sort of dove in and I loved it. I, and just things just kept getting better and better and better all the time. Though though I was in a constant state of panic, different panic. It was just sort of a harried panic that I, I wouldn't get in somewhere. It was very hard to get to medical school back then. Uh -huh. And um, but and, and I even, I assumed I would take a year off actually because I was, you know, getting things done so late, but, uh, but for the grace of God, SC was a place I wanted to go and got in and went. That's great. And it was exactly what I wanted. Very clinically intense experience. I mean, just wow. boof. Wow. Like working on a mash unit. Do you ever mm. have that outlet where you can sing? I mean, I know I did see that you were on the Masked Singer once. Uh, yeah. I, mean, do you, do I did you... the Masked Singer. Yeah. I, I sing, uh, national anthems for NHL okay. games and Dodgers and, All and, right. I, and, and I was for years sold at auctions to go sing and stuff. Oh. Um, but but as I have become less young, I've got some vocal problems. And so it's really not even a I see. possibility. Okay. I got, when, when I was training for the mass Singer, I was uh, I thought, OK, here we go. I haven't really trained in a while. Uh -huh. And lo and behold, my 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 mid range, what we call an opera, the Passaggio was uh -huh. was just like gone. I was I couldn't I couldn't get a sound off even. So I knew something was wrong. So I went to uh, an ENT friend and did a laryngoscopy. And lo and behold, I had not only a varicity on my vocal cord, but I had bled into that varicity. Uh, and so I had, you know, I still have may one day have to do something about that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It kind of triggered my, my brain when you said um, how intense medical school was. And I only mm. recently discovered that, and you'll have to help me with this, but I guess the guy who originally, maybe 50, 60, 70 years ago, came up with the whole structure of working these long shifts, you know, that cover several days with no sleep. That guy at the time was uh, on cocaine or something where he was just, he didn't have to sleep. And so therefore it has now set the standard. And does that ring a bell to you? Have you heard? No, that? no, I, I, that, I think that's apocryphal. But, but I will tell you that the residents uh, and they certainly the students are really not getting that experience so much today. And mm. they're and it's obvious to me in terms of their performance out in the world. Oh. It, you, you lose, you lose something when you are not seeing things across long arcs. When you are not putting what, however miserable you are aside and focusing on the patient care. Wow. It's a whole different sense of things uh, that you end up with uh, as a professional later than if it's just something you clock out at six o'clock. And I never, and I was exhausted for a decade and a half. I never made any errors because of that. You, you learn to focus. Okay. People could argue, Oh, maybe you did just didn't know it. Well, it certainly didn't manifest in any meaningful way. Right. And, right. uh, you know, it's only in the last few years I've started sleeping again because I, you know, I, I trained into that so diligently and I bought into it so completely that uh, even my first 10 years of practicing were without sleep. Oh, wow. Wow. So at, at some point, I believe it was, correct me if I have my dates wrong, was it 
1984 that Loveline mm-hmm. started? I mean, that is... So Loveline started in 83. Okay, wow. And, and K-Rock, where, where are you right now? I am in Dallas, Texas. All right. Are you? Are, do you know anything about the history of radio in Los Angeles? I know K-Rock. I know it's legendary. Yeah. Um, I, right. I, I grew well, it, up it, listening to 99X in Atlanta, which I guess was in a similar yeah. vein of, say, a K-Rock. A 96 Rock. Right. That's, yeah, I'll tell you, let me, let me stop for a second there. When I first was introduced to you, I used to work at a talk station in Atlanta, Georgia, WGST. And on my mm-hmm. drive home every night... I mm-hmm. would tune to our sister station, 96 Rock, where I would listen to you and Adam Carolla on Loveline religiously. Uh, great show. Right. Right. So so that started in 1983. A couple of guys had this idea that they could turn on the microphones and the phones and just give advice as friendly advice and stuff. And the... Uh, <laughs> The program director would. It was a. It was a pirate, and I mean a pirate radio station at the time, oh, and wow. almost nobody was listening to them. And with the new wave music, so called, they burst onto the scene as the quote rock of the eighties. Remember the rock of the eighties moniker? Wow. Well, that was set by K Rock and distributed across the country as a format. And they went from unheard of, like no one had ever heard of them to number one in the biggest radio market in the country at a time in which radio had this massive impact on the culture, on youth behavior. Uh, You know, people don't, you cannot appreciate today what radio is like. You define yourself by which radio station you listen to, you know? Yeah. And and, uh, people would, you know, gather around the radio and bring radios with them wherever they went. I mean, it was part of the deal. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, you know, I lived about a block away from that radio station. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And I started listening I, I, because I was, I was, I remember at the time going, Oh, I'm just so tired of KLOS and KMBT and the music is just so repetitive. And I was like, Oh, what's this? And and then I started realizing other people were listening to it. And um, because we were right down the street, friends of mine started socializing with people over there at the radio station. And they what had happened to this show where they were just giving advice is the program director said, Hey, look, we have community service hours. We have to meet. You got to turn this into a community service show. Figure that out. Wow. Here's Monday night. Here's Sunday night at midnight to 3 a.m. Monday morning. Go ahead, create a community service show. So they were constantly kind of brainstorming about that. And I got a call from a friend of mine. He goes, uh, Hey, you know, that station on the street. I was like, yeah, I'm listening now. He goes, well, they, they've got this show. He'd been talking to them. And your name came up as maybe you could help them turn this show they do late at night into a community service show. And here's what they want you to do. They want you to do a segment called Ask a Surgeon. You'll use big words. It'll be really funny. And I was like, <laughs> what, what, are you, what, are you, what are you talking about? And at the time, I was deep in the AIDS epidemic. I mean, I was taking care of AIDS patients, hand over fist. Oh. From a third year on, just constant uh, telling people they had six months to live every day. Oh. It was a brutal period. But there was a Tony Fauci at the time, and Anthony Fauci, who was my my hero, was telling us young physicians that we had to get out there and educate about this thing. We needed to tell people, you know. And so I went on, that was in the back of my mind as I went up to the radio studio with my textbooks that night, my gynecology and my infectious disease textbooks. <laughs> Crazy. Literally, that's what I did. Oh. And uh, was blown away at the, of the questions these, these young people were asking in the middle of the night to a couple of their disc jockey friends. And, and, and none of them had ever heard of, well, we were just starting to call it AIDS. We've been calling it grids for a couple of years. And we were just oh, wow. starting to call it AIDS. 
We didn't have a causative agent yet. We didn't know anything. We The term safe sex hadn't been coined, but I was just stunned. And I thought, wow, this is, of course, this is the case. I was 24 years old. And I thought, I know what 16, 17 year olds are up to. I was just one. And the sexual revolution from the 70s was perpetrated by adults with never any understanding that adolescents would follow suit. Like this weird, like you don't talk to adolescents about sex because they're not doing that. And if you talk about it, it'll make them want to do it. It's like, <laughs> no, we need it. And by the way, these infectious diseases that at the time we were calling venereal diseases and shrouded their names, you know, common vaginal yeast infection was called manilia. Everything was in a shrouded in Latin terms, secretive language about these strange, scary illnesses of the genitalia. <laughs> and I thought, God, this stuff is so easy. We have great treatments. People should understand how they work and what this is, but you should be aware about this other thing because it's common. And um, so I just said, can I come back? It was once a week, midnight to three. I said, can I, can I keep coming back? And yeah, keep coming back. And uh, I did that for the next 10 years for free thinking that was just sort of community service and it was fun and interesting and different. I met lots of fun people and, and I looked at it as sort of community service. If I was on call that night, I just wouldn't go. That is amazing. I mean, that, uh, that's just, there's just so much there. There's just so much there. And, mm. and, and how great is that, that you've, you've been national, but yet you've been in the same community effectively your entire life. I yeah. mean, that's, that's yeah. really cool. And yeah, you met your wife, Susan, who, but either way, you guys have been married for over 30 years. Congratulations to you. Yeah. Where did yeah. you guys meet? At radio. She was she won a beauty contest uh, that K-Rock was putting on every year. <laughs> and she came on and they actually they gave her the management of the girls that won to do promotional events for the uh she was called the head bikini girl at the time. <laughs> uh and uh and we met on the show. She came on the show as a guest to promote something and uh, really didn't, I didn't imagine we'd start going out, but, but I sort of laid myself out in ways that I don't normally do. Look at you. I ran her in the parking lot and I said, I, I said, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I know you have a boyfriend. I don't normally do this, but please, I'm just going to give you my number. If it should work out, just please take it. I no, no, no harm meant. Just please take my number. And that was that. How great is that? And y'all yeah. have three children, triplets, right? Yep. That yep. is cool, man. All right. Yep. Well, that is good. That is awesome, man. Now, when Dr. Drew has some downtime, which I, I doesn't sound like you ever really do, is there anything that you enjoy to do? Any hobbies? Anything that you do to relax in particular? Uh, I'm not a hobby guy yeah. at all. Uh, I... I love working out. I love listening to podcasts. So I sort of combine that, you know, love hanging out with my kids and my family. And, there you go. And that, that's about it. I can't think of, I mean, I, I like doing stuff. I like being busy. I like creating things. And uh, so that's why all these digital things have been interesting. My wife kind of knows that. And so she helped produce this streaming show we do Tuesday through Thursday. And then we, for a while, we're doing extra, other podcasts and, you know, she just, Make, keeps me busy, which makes me happy. Right. And and I'm going to have you um, tell us where you're located so people can find you on the web uh, before we finish up. But please tell us right now, where is that show available? Where Where is like a good place for people to go to to get more of Dr. Drew? Well, that that show, the best is drdrew.tv. Okay. But drdrew.com is where everything is, all okay. the podcasts. I do one, I done with, do one with Adam. I do one by myself. I do 
I have to think about, oh, after dark is this thing I do with your mom's house was just this amazing thing that happened to me. And it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. You stay busy. Yeah. That's for sure. I, I found it fascinating. Uh, it's pretty fun that you're, you've got an asteroid named after you. How's that feel? Yeah. Th that is a, 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 uh, cosmology professor from Mount Holyoke college. Who's a huge, primarily Adam fan. And he comes to all the Corolla events and stuff. And okay. he, had that done for us. Okay. Very good. Very good. What's your favorite musical genre? Like what kind of music do you like listening to? You know, I, I don't, it's, it's kind of weird. <laughs> uh, I met because of Loveline, I met essentially every musician you could possibly name of, of that moment uh -huh. across 30 years. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and so everybody, and I, I don't know, you know, I don't like going to concerts, but I appreciate their music and, and I listen to everything. I listen to jazz. I listen to classical. I, I listen to hard rock. I listen to, I, I listen to everything. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't say, but, but what's weird about me is from a, from a standpoint of sort of rock music, I would still be listening to deep purple and the doobie brothers. Had I not spent all those years on K rock where I was exposed <laughs> to other things. Right. Right. Okay. Um, what is the last book that you read? I read all the time. I go on reading binges. Uh, -huh. uh Gosh, I have to remember what my, uh, I'm reading in French right now. Uh, I'm reading French um, pocket novels because this is a longer story, but so I studied, <laughs> we got studied as much French. time as you do. I <laughs> uh, studied all French all through high school. And, you know, I, I was used to read in French a lot. Um, and when I would go to France, I was always super confused why I couldn't just understand and speak and just couldn't, because I knew the language. Well, Nobody ever taught me how to speak. It's a whole different thing out in the street. I, I oh. knew it. I, I could hear that it was different. I just didn't know how it was different. Oh. And um, so when I got the COVID the first time, I got bad long COVID. And I had a bad fog afterwards. And I had this sense that if I were to do something like go back to the piano or work on language, I had this sense that it would help. I don't know why I had that sense, but I just did. And we were going to go to Greece at the time. And I thought, I'm going to learn some Greek. I'm going to apply myself and learn some Greek. And the fog cleared in about two weeks. And, and my Greek was unusually good, they tell me, when I got there. And that it assimilated faster than I'm accustomed to language being. It was like easier than it should have been. Wow. I, I don't know if that's some sort of post-COVID thing. Because wow. I kept saying it was, like, it was like getting hit in the head, you know, with the COVID it really is like a, a traumatic brain injury. And, and, you know, people wake up from traumatic brain injuries with funny skills sometimes. So I thought, well, maybe it was something to do with that. But anyway, when we got back, <laughs> I went, I'm going to, this. that was rewarding. I'm going to finally get my French together. I'm going to get it together and really get my French together. So I started really working on French again. And um, we have a friend who's fluent in French. And she goes, you call me every day at nine o'clock. We're going to speak French and you read these novels. And so that's how I got reading the novel. All right. They're hard. They're not easy. They're yeah. hard. Yeah. Yeah. I I can't imagine. I have taken so much Spanish in my life, but retained mm. zero of it. And it's a regret that I have that I can't speak another language. But kudos to you, man. Yeah. Go to, there's lots of apps and YouTube, the stuff that really makes it doable on your own. Okay. And uh, okay. Yeah. It's, it's kind of fun. So French. But otherwise, book, books I read are. Um, you know, I read a lot of nonfiction, a lot of history. And stuff. Mm -hmm. I read a lot of biographies. Um, is there... I read every Lincoln biography there is, any every Teddy Roosevelt biography there is. Um, John Jefferson, who else did I read a lot of? 
even McKinley. I, I you know, I, <laughs> I, I really like history through, I, I had really essentially no history training in college, but a, a very exceptionally good liberal arts training. So I'm naturally prone to try to expand in areas I don't fully, wasn't fully trained. Sure. It sounds like U.S. presidents kind of seem like a, a genre you're into. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of backed in through it through Lincoln. I I just, you know, because of all those years working in a psychiatric hospital, I, I came to understand the human experience in kind of a fuller way, let's say. Uh -huh. And I one day I was looking at the penny and I went, wait a minute, I, I only, who is this person? Well, I should know about more about what the act this is not uh -huh. just an image on a coin. This is a person. Yeah. Who is this guy? And so that's how I sort of looked backed into it. So I I I, be, I really become more interested in their their childhood experiences yeah. and upbringing and sort of the early adult experiences. But with Lincoln, I got very interested in his words and the, the things he was saying, his logic and his arguments and things. I got very interested in that too. So. Okay, very cool. Whatever. Yeah. yeah no. No. <laughs> I mean, I I I found a, a common thread for us there because I had the goal at one point in my life that I was going to read in order one book, at least one book about each of the presidents. And I got, that's cool. yeah, well, I mean, it, it sounds cool, right? I got George Washington, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, where we got James Madison. I got to Monroe, I think the fifth president. And I guess maybe I picked a really dry book. I don't know what yeah. it was. If it was just, maybe it's James Monroe. It wasn't that interesting, but yeah. that's where I just kind of hit a wall. And I was like, you know what? I want to read about, and this is going to sound total geeky, but I'll own it. Uh, I was like, I no, I want to read about Grover Cleveland right now. Grover Cleveland yeah. seems like he would be awesome. Yeah. So I just skipped ahead and then, of course, fell in love with Calvin Coolidge. So, uh, but that's cool, man. I, I think that's awesome that that you're, uh, sounds like you're big into well, presidents. A, a couple well. things, a couple things. Um, you made it through the important ones. Yeah. Uh, Monroe is probably one of the biggest geniuses uh, of amongst them, but also indeed the most boring. I mean, really like Asperger's <laughs> or something. Something was not right about him. He was that boring. Uh -huh. and, 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 um, and you don't need to read about Franklin Pierce and Zachary Taylor <laughs> right. and, and you. James Buchanan. Maybe you can and maybe. Buchanan would be very interesting. Yeah. 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 And he's also probably and, our first and, gay president. Who? Uh, Buchanan. Oh, oh, I did not know that. Oh. But now that you mention it, I can see it. I can he, see yeah. that. I'll send you some yeah. stuff. It's interesting. <laughs> That's good. That interesting. Yeah. Uh, and um, and I'm with you on on uh, uh, Calvin Coolidge. All right. Very. He, and he went to my college. He went to my Amherst. college. So That's right. Mm -hmm. I. So okay. <sighs> this is not about me, but I've got to say that my kids and I are currently reading Amity Schley's book on Calvin Coolidge, and it really covers a ton of the history of Amherst College and. Yeah. Uh, and how he wasn't going to be anything. And then, ta-da, yeah. look what he became. Yeah. That's really cool. So um, do you spend a lot of time with your phone? Do you have a favorite app or anything that, that you're constantly uh, enjoying spending some time with? No, yeah. I hate the phone. Yeah. I, I, you know, I check Twitter, Facebook. I check these things too often. I, again, <laughs> listen to... I listen to, I listen to makeup and fashion blogs from French from French speaking women because because they're entertaining they're super entertaining and they some of them have beautiful they speak with such clarity I love it it's a, they're beautiful French so I just like I watch these women that are famous for makeup videos and stuff it's so and silly. and your French is at the uh, point where where you can totally understand what they're saying then huh oh I can understand everything there's no, oh, there's nothing wow. I can't understand. My, my my problem is I I can't I can't produce it fluidly the way I would like. I, I think gotcha. I've got about another year. 
before I'm really there. Yeah. Okay. So. All right. Let's switch gears for a moment here. What is the most scared that you've ever been? Well, two things. Um, I'm about to do a TV production that I can't really talk about, but it's scary. <laughs> and you'll be hearing about it in the fall. Uh, I was scared when we started Celebrity Rehab because I never nothing like that had ever been done before. I was so fearful it would impact the patients in a bad way. And I was, I actually have a funny story about that. Uh, every day I would start groups. Um, you know, I'd, I'd go, you guys, okay, the cameras bother you. Do we need to move you to a different program? Blah, 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 okay. And I, I would ask that every day, I was very anxious about this. And finally, Mary Carey, who's a porn star, leans in and she goes, Drew, I've done just about everything in front of the camera. I, I understand what it is to have cameras rolling. And I thought, <laughs> oh my God, that's right. These people do, they really do understand yeah. where they are. And, and it, and it, that translated to every season after that, they uh -huh. all had, you know, they knew what they were getting into. Right. And, but the scariest ever was, was, uh, I was 14 or 15. I got lost in the San Gabriel mountains with two friends of mine. And we started trying to scale our way out, like literally climbing cliffs with no anything for safety. And I started slipping down at one point and there literally was a moment where my life flashed before my eyes. And I thought I'm either gonna, it was like I was in this chimney and like, I'm either gonna be able to push myself up here or oh, not. No. And uh, I just threw myself up and uh, that, that was that, no but kidding. it was, but for the grace of God, right. but for the grace, I was probably hundred feet up in the air. When, when you experience something that traumatic, uh, yeah. especially as a kid, yeah. have you ever, first of all, has that trauma manifest itself later on in life when you've been at, at a cliffside or something like that? Or, or have you had nightmares where you're reliving that episode? No, I, I did. That's a good question. No, I did not. But I did have PTSD. I, I didn't understand it, but I was I was shaking for weeks afterwards. Right. And uh, I, I just remember being just uh, I couldn't understand what was happening to me. Like my central nervous system was completely out of bounds. Um, I you know, it, you could argue that maybe that's what set me up for panic attacks when I ended up in college. And, but I, I did not develop any phobias or preoccupations, although I don't like heights. Uh, and that may have something to do with that. And that's something that's specifically going to get, uh, let's say, um, challenged in this upcoming television production. I'm wow. gonna be involved with. Okay. Yeah. We're going to be looking for that. I am glad that that, that turned out. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> My goodness. Me um, too. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. Obviously, that makes sense that that would be the most scared you've ever been. What was the biggest turning point in your life, would you say? Um, it's that moment where I started thinking about going back to science. I, I remember exactly where I was. I was in a what are called a five college bus. We had buses that went amongst the different colleges in the, the Pioneer Valley of Massachusetts. And I was sitting in the bus and I thought, I wonder maybe. And lo and behold, I felt better right there and things things shifted boom things just changed direction that moment that's great this sort of a moment of clarity are there any interesting talents that you have i i there's a here's a here's an interesting fun fact that we didn't mention earlier when we were going through your tv shows was wheel of fortune your first time oh, yeah. ever on tv you were a contestant on the wheel of fortune that's fascinating yeah as an adult i remember i was on oh, one okay. drama when i was a kid okay um <laughs> Uh, was a local TV show here. 
Uh, first time on TV. Was that my first time on television? But you didn't I win, though. I, I, I don't think you won. Did not win. A friend of mine, a friend of mine won a car, and I thought, God, I'm I can she's no smarter than me. I can use he was in medical school with me. I thought <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go do that. And I had two weeks between I think it was between medical school and resident and internship, and I thought I'm gonna go get on Wheel of Fortune. I waited in line, did all those things, and uh let's just say the wheel turned against me. Uh-huh. Uh, you don't you don't factor that in when you're thinking about going on like how how luck does factor into it I, you know it was the woman on the other side of me was getting everything and i was getting bankrupt and nothing and Man. lose a turn and all kind yeah. of stuff and and by the way i lived in fear of that speaking of fear i lived in fear of that coming back that somebody finding that tape oh and I no told anybody oh no. and i was on the ellen show one time and they found it and played it and and i thought here it comes and uh and ellen goes well do you learn anything from watching that tape i said yeah i did face your fears it wasn't so bad I all right fearfully somebody bringing that up for 30 years and <laughs> you did it and uh, it wasn't that bad good so. i'm glad to hear that okay so you had a battle with cancer yeah i have prostate cancer and uh had my prostate out about 12 years ago I had radiation wow. this last summer and uh you know if you're gonna get cancer that's the one to get Right. Okay. Very good. I'm, I'm very involved with the Prostate Cancer Foundation. I do, you know, sort of have my ear on the research and funding the research. So it's it's been a lot of very interesting stuff. Yeah. And we, we, you know, you and I have not yet touched on my medical career, which was very extensive. Yeah. Uh, the, the whole time we were doing media, I didn't want to be bothered with it. I mean, I, I would go do radio late at night, but I would always just say, just leave me alone to practice medicine. And I did that for 30 years. I mean, I, and I sort of, had three careers going simultaneously in medicine. I was doing general outpatient medicine, outpatient. I was doing inpatient medicine. I was doing critical care. And then I had a whole separate career at the psychiatric hospital where initially I ran their medical services. And then ultimately around 1990, took over their addiction services, 1991, I guess it was. And really started focusing on that later. Uh, Ended up teaching. I was teaching general medicine and then for a long time taught through the department of psychiatry at our addiction uh, medicine program. So I was really like way crazy busy practicing medicine, like 14, 16 hours a day routinely. Um, that was just what I did for years and years and years. So, okay. A couple of questions then a, a serious question. When did you sleep? That's not rhetorical. And yeah. So when, when did you sleep? Because I, I slept, would, I would, I would, I would, Every night, get back from Loveline, and if I saw one, two, three, four on my clock, I was pissed. So I was asleep by twelve thirty. Even though I got off the radio at midnight, I'd sleep at. Well, I was so sleep deprived I could just go right to sleep. And, and you I were still living, st- still living next door at that time, or? Oh no, no. no. Okay, then okay, I was, okay. Yeah, I was living in actually Glendale for ten years. Oh then. my goodness. And. Uh, and we'd get up at six o'clock and start it all over again. And, you know, we had triplets along the way, too, which made it super crazy. Oh, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I was a severe workaholic, severe, 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 severe. Yeah. Um, and, and but was, but, it, you know, because of it, I had this tremendously diverse, rich um, experience as a medical provider that, that nobody gets anymore. You just, you just can't get that. And so, you know, you can't do critical care general hospital medicine, outpatient medicine, psychiatric medicine. You just can't do it. You have to sort of silo it now. 
And um, as a result of having had all that experience, I, I just have a profound understanding of a lot of things. And I want to just share that and give it back. Yeah. I'm just trying to give, give it away now as much as I can. So when I would listen to Loveline and you would be on there with Adam Carolla, mm-hmm. you were, whereas Adam was the haha, let's kind of, you know, find the humor. And you were more the clinical mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, doctor. So mm-hmm. that seems to be your personality. But now I'm listening to you tell the story and I'm thinking, maybe he was just really tired. <laughs> Well, I was really tired, but no, 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 that, <laughs> yeah. that was me. I, no. I, 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 I was the pill. We always said, yeah. you know, when you, when you want to g- give a dog a pill, you have to wrap it in something that they like. <laughs> so I was always the pill. Yeah. That is well said. That is well said. Uh, you would have no idea listening, uh, that, that, you know, you didn't want to be bothered with that stuff because you're a natural. I mean, you, you well, it, it, it's not that I didn't enjoy it. I just, I, and I was willing to do it. And I, and when new things came along, I would explore it, mm-hmm. but, but I didn't want it to just, they had to just leave me alone to right. practice medicine. Like, like when Loveline T- MTV happened, I was like, well, what's a TV show? How do you do that? I have no idea. Uh, and I said, well, look, I've got, I can give you Friday afternoon, and Saturday afternoon, and that's it. Uh, if you can do it there, then we'll do a TV show. And uh, and you know, na- Adam and I were both very naive, and we would do six shows a day. We just oh. change our clothes, do another one, change our clothes, do another one. We were happy to do it. Just, uh-huh. You know, just okay, take a break in the middle and do more. Yeah, and uh, that was MTV, which we did for five seasons. Yeah. Okay. So whether it's radio, TV, or any other manner of areas that you have been a part of, I know you've crossed paths with tons of celebrities and I'm not asking you to out anyone, but I am just curious, are there any um, celebrities that you'd care to tell a story, whether good or bad, anything that uh, stands out as an experience with a celebrity that you look back and, and you just remember very well? I have one, I, you know, I, no, I can't tell. That's what I was afraid of. In the addiction realm, most of what, you know, my celebrity interaction happened on TV. So people actually saw it. Okay. Yeah. What they didn't see was that we treated them, many of them for years afterwards. Um, And, and, you know, they, several of them fell victim to the overprescribing of opiates by my peers and were literally killed by that Um, in spite of really doing well. And then all of a sudden, you know, my peers giving them a bunch of stuff and two weeks later, they're dead. Mm. Um, other celebrity stuff. I mean, you know, most of the other celebrity things that were sort of notable were on the radio. Right. That happened on the air. Okay. Uh, yeah. Now, yeah. do you have anything any... else? Anything clinical? I just can't talk. about. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I was afraid we were going to be there. Uh, totally understand. Um, and respect that. Uh, is there an embarrassing moment in your career that's maybe happened to you? I would imagine as how, how often as you have been on the air, does anything stand out uh, that... Uh, I, I, you know, as you ask that question, I'm thinking to myself, thankfully, nothing all right. stays with me. But that doesn't mean there weren't times. <laughs> there was lots of times. Yeah. Uh, but I nothing bothers me. Nothing comes to mind as you talk about it, okay. which which I guess is a good thing, right? Uh, that's, yeah. That's nice. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, any regrets you'd care to share? Yeah, I have lots of regrets. Um you know, I regret that I was such a workaholic that I was yeah. away from my family for so much, so, so many years. I, um, 
regret uh, falling into hubris around COVID uh, and sort of, uh, even though my position was correct, I was sort of excessive in the way I was saying it. And um, that was problematic and I was wrong in doing that. Um, Because I wasn't, I'll tell you, I wasn't going to bring that up. uh, And you're not asking me to even address this, but I remember it at the time and I went back and revisited it prepping for this interview. Well, you're only going to see stuff. The only thing out there is stuff that's so edited. It leaves, it makes, gives you the wrong impression about what I was saying, but it was the way I was saying it was, was too much. Okay. Excessive too too, too much uh, hubris and too much um, certitude, Mm. uh, which is always wrong when you're, when you're a scientist. Okay. Um, But what I kept saying was that what they cut out of every clip you'll see is like, look, just shut up and listen to the CDC and let Dr. Fauci be your North Star. I kept saying, I don't use those exact words. Let Fauci be your North Star because he had been mine through multiple pandemics. And, and that was my other point was that we've been through multiple pandemics and you don't even, you're not even aware of it. And now all of a sudden you're freaking out about a pandemic. Calm down, relax. <laughs> we've been through pandemics. You know, one of the, one of the analyses that's going on now is why, why didn't we lock down during H1N1? I had H1N1 also. That was a brutal illness. It was worse. I've had two COVIDs, one H1N1. H1N1 was worse. Wow. It was brutal. And I was a lot younger then, and it was still brutal. We didn't lock down over that. Why not? Brutal illness killed 300,000 people. Why not? Um, and that was sort of what I was asking. But I said, but just let the CDC, just listen to them, listen to Dr. Fauci. Now we can argue about whether that's good advice or not, that's a whole other matter. <laughs> but, but they conveniently left that out of everything you can possibly see about what I was saying. Right. So anyway, okay. and, and really what I was doing, I could see what the press was doing. I could see they were intent on creating a panic and I knew panic would make things worse. And lo and behold, it did. That's what I was right about, that the exce- the overreaches and the excesses. Now I was excessive too in response to it. So bad on me. But the excesses and now the mental health consequences, I, yes. I could see it all coming yeah. from right then. Yeah. I could see it. I knew I knew it was going to be a catastrophe. And we have yet to fully understand the impact, and particularly on the late childhood and the younger adolescents. God only knows. Yeah. It's just terrible. So branching off from that, do you, because you're absolutely right, the developmental uh, issues that, that this generation is already facing, uh, you see speech therapists, for example, that that their business has gone up 300 and something percent from a year ago just because of the d- developmental issues that masks have presented as far as, uh, you know, lip reading and, and stuff like that. So I guess my question uh, from from that standpoint is how do you as a doctor and someone who understands pandemics, if something serious does come down the pike again, um do you think that that after the last two years, do you think that that Americans are going to take it more seriously this time around, or is it you know what we've got pandemic fatigue? Yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't know how to answer that, but I do know that the public health system needs to take a good hard look at itself, and and my profession is calling for that. Exactly what they do and how they you know reframe themselves, I I don't know. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of uh, ink that needs to be spell, spilled, uh, taking a look at what what went wrong, yeah, and uh, trying to correct that. Okay, we we got it right during the AIDS epidemic. Hmm. I mean, I was deep into that pandemic, and we got it right. 
but that was an extraordinarily positive experience that we, you know, within four or five years found a causative agent with, remember that was a disease with not a 3% fatality rate, a 100% fatality rate. It was a very different situation and it was scary and sad. And we found ways to educate. We found ways to change behavior. We, we really, it was just, you know, and we threw all that away during this one. That's what, that's one of the other things I kept saying is like, why aren't we using what we learned during the AIDS epidemic? We learned how to do this and we're doing none of it now. Hmm. What was done differently than during the AIDS uh, epidemic that should have been so done now? We learned how to change health behavior. We, we learned that you can't change health behavior with authoritarian fiats. We learned that you can't have people like me in a white coat sitting in a box telling people what to do. We learned that educating people wasn't enough. We, everyone knew all about AIDS and how, what transmitted it. They didn't change their behaviors. We learned the way to change behavior was essentially what we did on Loveline. It's a relatable narrative. Somebody who has who you can relate to, who sounds familiar to you, or you, so your age or your ethnicity or whatever it is, uh, but you can, you, can, you can hear what they're saying and you learn from the consequences of their choices and their actions. And you hear the narrative and then you add in music and humor and that's it. That's how you change behavior. Mm. We should have had all sorts of marketing camp, all sorts of campaigns, just like we did during AIDS, all kinds of great campaigns we put together. None of that. This was all fiat mandates. It was like, and none of it based in science. Yeah. And that was very, very disturbing. And dare I say, un-American. Um, well, it sort of, it sort of got there, you know, whether it was appropriate or not, I, if it had been appropriate, I've been all for it, but it, it was, it was ineffectual and, and then had horrible consequences. That's the part that, that bothered me. What is, let's go back to AIDS for just a second. What is the death rate now? You mentioned it was a hundred percent then where are we at now? Cause you oh, don't... now it's no, no, no. I, I didn't know how to, now it's a chronic illness like diabetes. Right. It, it's you can die of it. I mean, things can go wrong or you can not take your medicines or not tolerate the medicines. But my goodness, I, I don't even know how to, I don't even, I'm not even familiar. I don't even know how to right, quantify that right, that's you know, in terms of percent fatality rate. I imagine it, you would do it as percent per year. Okay. It's probably like, you know, 3% per year of AIDS patients pass away. And it's probably lower than that if you take your meds properly. Uh huh. Um, but that, at the beginning, it was 100% for everybody. Right. And once you came in with your first episode of pneumocystis pneumonia, it was six months. We would tell them they had six months and we were never wrong. That is amazing. That is terrible. Yeah. Terrible. It was so sad. <sighs> I bore witness to one of the saddest chapters in human history. And the really sad thing now is that there are very few people around to tell the story. It's just, they all died. It's just, it was those of us treating them and a few lucky of, of their friends, everyone else died. It's just, and, and these were, I mean, these were the best of the best, high intelligent, highly trained, often artistic perform. It just really lost a, a generation of super high quality people, man, and that was that, and uh, that you know we didn't lock down over that one, right? And uh, because that was those people, you know, it would have, have shame on us, shame on us, shame well, on us for ever ever framing it that way. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I, I'm going to ask this question here, but I I, I wonder if if you haven't uh, already accomplished everything. On the Dr. Drew bucket list that you want to get done in your lifetime, is well, there anything I, else? I I don't I like I said, there's no blueprint, so I never know right. what I'm <laughs> <Right>. doing. <laughs> and, and, but I do feel like I've got something left in me, um, and so I've been developing a few TV shows that are 
in the zone that I think are going to be interesting and accomplish something. And, um, and as I said, I've got this crazy thing coming up uh-huh. uh, where I'm going to challenge myself. We look forward to um, this. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's things happening that I still am excited about. I do, I do seem to need to be doing something or I kind of head towards feelings of worthlessness and depression. And I, I, I don't know, that's the workaholism, I guess, but I, I do go, I drift that way if I'm not contributing in ways that I'm excited about. Hmm. And certainly COVID was a, you know, a challenge to all that because everybody stopped everything. Yeah. And uh, that was not something I considered fun. See, I and and I don't want to dwell on this if you don't want to, and I can totally mm. edit this. But I, I was about to ask my last question, but you just mentioned something there that really jumped out at me that I was not yeah. anticipating. That I have always looked at you for the last I've known you in media for over twenty years now, and I look at you as like a a steady voice of reason. Uh, someone who can offer medical advice and almost like a father figure, you know what I'm saying? And and please yeah. don't please please accept that as as a compliment. Yeah, you understand. But you just mentioned something where it just hit me. Doctor Drew, the Doctor Drew, has bouts of depression like the rest of us. Oh, I, it just hell would, yeah! It would not even occur to me to think that about you, man. How do you yeah, how do they, you fight that? With work, <laughs> my work really. <laughs> yeah. No, I. I uh, I fight a lot of ways, um, but look, uh, just know that um, no, there's nobody that doesn't have something. Uh, you know, having treated all kinds of people, I assure you, and and very often the very successful, particularly the very wealthy, have more in common with the very poor hmm. than with the rest of us. That that's something I learned early working in a psychiatric hospital. I was I was stunned by how we were primarily taking care of very rich and very poor. Wow. And it kind of makes sense because, you know, when people are prone to excess of any type, they sort of move towards mental illness. And so my thing, my excess is my workaholism, I guess. And, Mm. um, and it's a, it's a, it's a management of feelings of, you know, low low self-esteem and, Mm -hmm. and mood that drifts downward and things like that. And that's just me how it works. I know the other way I fought it is I had years and years of therapy. So I used to have a lot of generalized anxiety also, and that, um, is gone. Yeah. Uh, so I'm grateful for that. And, and therapy, you know, doing intensive, emotionally focused therapy was one of the most important things I've ever done. I mean, I, as someone who looks at myself as, like you said, a workaholic who spends way too much time doom scrolling and preparing. <laughs> I a, hate that. Yeah. And, I hate the doom scrolling. I hate that. God, that's a bad feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and I'm kind of immersed in it with my job as a producer for a talk show. And I'm constantly having to, to, to stay connected to this crazy world and it yep, just becomes too. too much. And yep. I tell you what, if you ever figure out a way to uh, disconnect or somehow uh, uh, overcome that feeling of, uh, of being overwhelmed, well, you know, I, I, it's, it's weird. It's different now with social media and stuff. It, it feels more, hmm, what's the word? What's the feeling? It's an odd feeling you get from doom scrolling more, um, dreadful. It's like dread. Yeah. There's a component of dread in there. And that's one of the reasons I'm doing this thing where I'm challenging myself okay. I'm be without anything. And uh, <laughs> I want to see what that feels like. Maybe get me out of my head a little bit. And I'm so, so upset by everything that's going on in this country. I, I, I can't, it's getting to me. Yeah. And so I want to get away from all that. Oh, I, 
Uh, th- that is exactly why I do this podcast, because yeah, I live sure. in this world of politics and doom and people tag me constantly on really heavy stuff to make sure that I see this, that I give it to the host. And, you know, I just want to shut that off. But that's why yeah. I started this podcast to basically just have conversations like this about people. I get that, it. Yeah. And so I get um, it. yet it's creeping in on all of us. It's yeah. creeping in on all of us. Yeah. The, the, the thing I've noticed lately, and this will be interesting historically to see how this plays out. I'm hearing a lot of uh, who cares. I don't care anymore. Yeah. A lot of that. And, and I could relate to that feeling. I could relate to it. It's like, why am I working so hard? Why do I care? Why do I do anything? Because because nobody seems to value anything. Like everything's like become flat and uh, unimportant, and everything's rigged or BS yeah, or whatever. You can't. You, can't, you feel it's, like you can't affect it. It, it. But whatever it is, it's all this feeling. It's not apathy. It's and it's co- sort of closer to helplessness. This feeling of, you know, I, like like I, I feel it very acutely in my profession. When, when I was you know really practicing medicine full 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 time. I thought what I was doing was the most important thing. It was such an important job. I took it so seriously all the time. Top of my mind constantly, my patient's well-being. And now I kind of feel like, eh, nobody cares what we do. Who cares? Who cares if we do it? You know, whatever. Hmm. And and I I still, obviously, I still do a good job where I am practicing. But this feeling of, well, nobody really cares if I do a good job or not. Why should I? Mm -hmm. Should I really care? Should I? You know, and... um, it's, That's a weird feeling for me. That's a very strange feeling. And I've heard it from many other people, some version of that from many other people lately, like I, in the last two weeks. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. It, it's almost yeah. like, eh, you know what? I, I've, I've tried. I'm not going to be able to change yeah. this on my own. And uh, I'm tired. It's, it's kind of a nihilism. It's kind of a nihilism. Mm-hmm. And again, I always get interested in where these things emerge historically. A lot of nihilism showed up in 1930s. You know, it was not a good thing. Hmm. Didn't, didn't actually it was a lot of it in 1917 too. You know, sort of post-Russian Revolution. Right. And uh, we don't want to be feeling that way. It's not a good thing. Right. Right. Well, I'm I'm glad we explored that. Uh, one last question before we go: Is there anything hmm. in your Amazon cart currently you'd like to share with the class? Uh, tell us what uh, what you're about to make a big purchase on there. <laughs> I just loaded up on all kinds of stuff this morning. Strangely, you should ask oh. mouthwash and <laughs> and psyllium husk. C- and, wait, what uh, is c- wait? What is psyllium husk? What psyllium is that? Psyllium husk is I I have all kinds of old man problems. I have recurrent diverticulitis and stuff, and so it's like Metamucil. It's oh. a it's a bulk agent. Okay. So psyllium husk. Oh, let me sorry. go through it. Let me see what else I, oh. I had. Some, oh, that's I okay. Dry ice, right? some, <laughs> so I had some nocturnal eye gel. Wait. Hold on. Let me see. Wait. Dry ice. I had, don't get old. This is what it boils down to. <laughs> I had a radial keratotomy and I had a complication of it, which oh, was this no. dry eye thing. Um, oh, dry eye. My vision back. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said dry ice. I was like, you can you can order dry ice oh, no, on no, Amazon. I have dry eyes. Dry eyes. <laughs> and, and wait, I'm getting, let me see what else. I, I went nuts this morning. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember all this. I ordered about five different things or six different things, but. Oh, shampoo, some shampoo. <laughs> and, you know, really exciting stuff. Very exciting. No, no. And I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, I just interviewed Shannon Bream from uh, Fox News. And by the way, first call her evil Shannon Bream. So go ahead. Oh, no. Wait, what happened? What? That's what that's what Greg Gutfeld always calls her evil Shannon Bream. Oh, nothing could be further from the truth. I know. So, that's the joke. That's the joke. That's yeah, the that's joke. the joke. So she would have to set her alarm to in the middle of the night every couple of hours to put drops in her eyes because like you said like it was it was like her 
her eyes were sticking, like the cornea would. Oh yeah. Oh, just, oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. can't. Did she have LASIK or something? Did something, she have LASIK? Uh, something. Uh, I have to go back and listen. Yeah, to the I'm going to have now. to share with her <laughs> our, our misery in that. Hey, a, a, a weather woman uh, in the Midwest hung herself over this, and and when it happened. I thought, yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah, no. I get it. This is really miserable. <laughs> no, no. So yeah, 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 I, yeah. I, I think with Shannon, I think her tear ducts just weren't doing their no, job. I got, I got, I got some advice for her. I've been okay. messing with this for a while. So yeah, let's talk to her. All right. Um, let's see here. You mentioned it earlier, drdrew.com. That's where everything is located. Yeah, one- it's centrally located. But, uh, you know, I'm on your mom's house, which has been this great pleasure with Tom Segura and his wife, Christina P. It's Dr. Drew After Dark. You will like that, I promise. I it's can't sort of the wait. The new incarnation of Loveline is really what it is. All right. Um, yeah, it's a YouTube and, and pod and whatever. And uh, a lot of silliness over there at your mom's house. I have a Dr. Drew podcast, which is a little more serious, or inter- uh, interviewing intellectuals. The uh, streaming show at 3 o'clock, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Pacific time most weeks, uh, is just sort of day and date stuff. People, I, I tend to be drawn towards people that are being silenced. If somebody's being canceled for some reason, I immediately want to interview them. I want to see what they have to say. Wow. So a lot of those types on that uh, stream, uh, but also other things. Yeah. Uh, and listen, and Adam and Drew, Adam and I are still together. Uh-huh. We do yeah. a podcast three days a week and you can hear that all. You can find all that stuff at drdrew.com. That is great, man. You do stay busy and, and you're still practicing. Right. I mean, yeah, I still practice. Mike. I still practice. Just outpatient medicine now, which feels like, you know, so easy compared to what I was well, doing. <laughs> and, and it's true of, you know, the, and media generally is just so much easier than practice medicine. You have no idea. So I don't, <laughs> don't you know, tell, I never feel like I'm working. Don't I never tell feel everybody like I'm that. <laughs> in fact, you know, the stuff my wife has been able to create in, you know, we have an art studio in our house now and she's been able to create all this stuff here. She's actually hired our kids to do some of the work, you know, producing and stuff. And it, it I'm in like denial that, that that we are able to do that. It seems weird to me that we can run a business out of our house and, and that it's real. It's a real thing now because of electronic media. That is super cool, man. Well, yeah. Dr. Drew Pinsky, thank you so much for making time here on At The Mic. I sincerely appreciate it, buddy. Pleasure, and uh, hopefully we'll see each other soon. It was so cool for me to get a chance to talk with Dr. Drew, uh, such a great guy with a wealth of information. I actually, I need to go find that episode of Family Guy because I still have not seen that. Shame on me. Uh, If you do get a chance uh, to subscribe to this podcast, I sure would be grateful. Um, If you could go over to youtube.com slash at the mic with Keith. Uh, the show is also available when you head to atthemikeshow.com. And again, another request, if you're able to rate and review the show, please do give it five stars on Apple iTunes or Spotify. I would be so grateful as well. It helps more people find the show uh, when they're looking for good conversations. So thank you for considering. Now, if you're familiar with my day job as the producer of the show Pat Gray Unleashed, Well, you know there's a community of audience members of that show who collectively refer to themselves as Patheads. Well, one of those Patheads is Tyler Morgan, and he's my guest next week here on At The Mic. We're going to talk to him about his life with a very large family, um, which also includes 13 pets. Yeah. (laughs) They're all on the loose at the same time, too. Okay, we're going to talk about all of that next week here on at the mic i hope you will join us then well until then above all else i hope you'll go be free thank you for listening this has been at the mic with keith an independent podcast production 
Head to atthemikeshow.com for archived episodes, sponsor information, and ways to connect.